0: We're going to be uh, continuing our journey about making disciples this morning. Uh, We're focused on Jesus' command in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, where Jesus said, Go, therefore, into all the nations and make disciples, or go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, This command of Jesus to His church is what we call the Great Commission, it's the reason the Lord has left you in me here on here on planet earth. Like the moment you came to know him, the reason you just didn't immediately, boom, gone, you're gone, is because he has a mission for you. And I think some other pastors and and other theologians have said, you know, worship would be much more awesome in heaven. Fellowship would be much more awesome, awesome in heaven. And in that There's just, it's just unencumbered and pure, you know, and so um, it would would seem that the reason why the Lord has left us here, (laughs) one of many reasons, not that we don't get to worship Him and and have fellowship here that's sweet and all those things, but there's a mission left to, to accomplish, that the Lord wants to save people and disciple them, to send them, to save them, to disciple them to send them, to save them, to disciple them until he returns. He wants more and more and more people in his kingdom. That's what he wants, and that's his plan. He saved you, and he wants you to have the same heart and fire uh, within you that he has when he went and saved you or someone went and saved you, that you would go then in and be a part of that mission to save and disciple others. And so the Great Commission, we are to join the Lord in that. That is what He is busy doing. And, and as we look at the mission the Lord Jesus has given us, there's really two parts to it. Can anybody tell us the two parts to it? What, what are they? Number one, what is it? Go and do what? Make disciples. How do you make disciples? What do you have to do first? You have to what? Yet to share the gospel. They have to be born again. And so there is intrinsically in the command to go into all the world, the command to preach the gospel to the lost. As you look at uh, the uh, Great Commission there, Jesus says, hey, go and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He's not, the Lord isn't just interested in you and dunking people. Me, dunking people, that's not... That's not what it is, but what does that represent? What does baptism represent? What did, G, what did John uh, say? He says, well, John the Baptist actually said, hey, listen, there's one coming after me whose sandals I'm not worried to loose. and we got to watch out for him because he can baptize you with water or with fire. What does that baptism with water represent? It means regeneration. He can give you eternal life. And that's what baptism really symbolizes at its root, that we've been changed from the inside. We've been born again. We've been washed. We've been cleansed. We've been resurrected to new life in Jesus Christ. And so built in the command to go and to baptize is the idea is that there is a communication of the gospel where people believe and are born again. And then the second part is what? Teach them to obey. And that's kind of, if we look at it in our normal life, babies are born and <laughs> teach them to obey, right? That's kind of how it works. Well, same with the same, the same principle here that Jesus is calling us to together. If people do not come to faith in Christ, if there is not the preaching of the gospel embedded in each one of us, if they don't come to the Lord, then we're not going to be teaching them, are we? They're not going to be trained. I mean, you can talk to them all day long, but they're not going to obey because there isn't a new nature within them. And so, as we look at the first part of the Great Commission, evangelism that leads to the new birth, which, again, rep, that's what baptism is represented by there. That baptism of the Spirit is, is, is key, that, that preaching of the gospel. And so, we look, as we look at Jesus' command to evangelize the lost... It's important to see the words of Jesus' Great Commission in that context. As we look at Matthew 28, 18-20, just look at it with me again. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority on heaven and earth is given to me. What does he say in verse 19? First word, go, therefore. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus makes clear that because he has all authority, and the implication is that we are submitted to that authority as his followers, right? We're joyfully submitted to Jesus, right? Jesus then says, therefore, go and make disciples. And so the first priority in fulfilling the Great Commission, and this is important, the first thing, a mindset, a heart set, a will set, if, you would, if you're, if so to speak, uh, so to speak, is that we need to be in harmonization with His will on this mission. Are we in harmonization with His will? Do we have His heart? And we must have within us the resolve to go. Jesus commands us to go. Let me ask you. Are you determined, am I determined, these are the questions we're asking, am I determined that I will go? That's a hard question, isn't it? And if so, praise the Lord, amen? And if not, why not? And if not, why not? All authority has been given to me. You are mine, my beloved, therefore go. Ah, no. Or yes. It's it's either a yes, no. It's a one or a zero. Helping some of you people out there, right? One or zero. Either you are going to, yes or no. Are we going to obey Jesus Christ in this? Are we going to have that resolve within us and say, listen, Lord, I am scared to death, but the answer is yes. I will obey you. I will do this. To have within this body of believers right here, CCF, to have with each one of you, this is my heart and my prayer within, within me right now, that I would have the will to go, that you would have the resolve to go that we would be a, yes, Lord, send me church. Within each one of us, without question, no reserve, totally abandoned to his will. Is that where we are? Is that where Pastor Matt is? These are the questions I'm asking. And if so, amen, and if not, why not? Because we cannot fulfill what Jesus asked us to do If we are unwilling to go and preach the gospel and teach people to obey. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me and you'll obey my commands. And as he summarizes by saying, this is my command that you love one another. But the idea is that we respond to him. Our love for him is responded in obedience. And so our resolve as a fellowship needs to be one of faith, one of obedience, and one of action, a resolve to go. And the first part of making disciples, as I've mentioned, must be a resolve to go and proclaim the gospel so that they first might believe. So we must understand that God is calling us to open our mouths and share him with the lost world around him. Let me rephrase that. God in this great commission says, you must go open your mouth and share me with people. How does that sit with each of you? Are you resolved to go and open your mouth? Am I resolved to go and open my mouth, not just at church, but the world around me? relatives and neighbors and people we run into. Am I resolved, Pastor Matt, professional religionist? Am I resolved? I've been struggling in this area, church. Anyone else? Talked about our love growing cold. Talking about first love. We talked about, you know, trusting the Lord. But here it's just, is there a resolve within us to say, yeah, I'm going to go we need to know that about ourselves. You know, when Jesus told all of his followers to go and make disciples, I think the, the 500 were gathered, the, the multitudes were gathered when he did this. If not, there was more than just the, the 11. There were, there were multiple people around. He gathers around them, and he says this great commission. He's in Galilee when he does this. I want you to go into all the world or go and make disciples of all nations, right? Do you think if they walked away with the understanding that God was calling them just to live out their faith in front of people not proclaim the gospel to anybody, do you think that would be a proper application, a proper understanding of what Jesus was saying? Ask yourself, that's absurd. It's absolutely, totally absurd. Jesus has said, you've got to go and proclaim me to the nations. There has to be a verbal communication of the gospel. There must be a verbal communication from the gospel, from believers to the lost world around us. It is not an option. When when Jesus says, go and make disciples, I think we can all understand it is implied within that command that we, like Jesus, so... I have been sent, Jesus says in John 17. So Father, you sent me into the world, so I am sending them into the world and then them, and so forth the ones who follow them will be sent into the world. That's the process of John 17. You know within that is the example of Jesus communicating the gospel out of his mouth. He is called the what? The action? He's called the what? The word. <laughs> right? He's he's communicating And and let me also say, because I know know where your mind is, I'm leading you down this path, and let me also say that obviously it would be equally absurd if all those disciples walked away from Jesus on that day and said, hey, we don't have to live out the truth, we can just talk about it. Amen? (laughs) Equally absurd. It's like, what? No, we live the truth and we proclaim the truth. That's the power of our witness that we're changed. We have love for one another. Amen? Yeah. So it's a both and, but not at the expense of the other. In order to fill the great commission of Jesus, we must communicate the gospel with words. Are you committed to go? Am I committed to go? How many of you are like, okay, conviction level high? Anyone else? Now, within you, whenever Jesus gives us a command, then there's like something that wells up within us. Anybody? Like, there's obstacles here. Same with Jesus said, hey, I'm going to, like in Matthew 5, he said, listen, you can't serve God and money. You're going to love one or hate the other. And then he goes on and tells them, don't be anxious about what you're going to eat. Now, what is, he, what is he addressing? Their anxiety. Because if I don't serve money, if my life isn't about going and grabbing these things, then what's... I've got an anxiety. How, how am I going to be provided for? Right? How am I going to make ends meet when God calls me to go in and do this thing? And this is disciple-specific these guys were leaving their jobs and going out into the mission field and they were very nervous about doing that does that make sense how am i going to be taken care of and jesus wanted them to know your father takes care of the birds he takes you know solomon was clo- uh, the, you know the lilies of the field are clothed he's got you don't you worry That's what the pagans go after. They worry about that because they don't have a great God. I want you to put your eyes off of your abilities and onto God. He will provide for you. He will take care of you. And so what I'm saying is seek first the kingdom of heaven and all his righteousness. And then all these things will be taken care of. All these things will be added unto you. But you see what happened when God called them to this thing. There was something that welled up within them. A fear that came within them. And God wants to address that fear. And the antidote to that fear is faith. We have to change our understanding of who God is. And similarly, when he says, go, and I want you to communicate the gospel, I want you to open your mouth, what comes up within most of our hearts? Fear. (laughs) Anyone have the gap going on in your heart? Anxiety? Totally. And God knows this. And by the way, the enemy knows this. Right? And so we've got an awesome opportunity, and it's also going to be a battlefield for us. And so I know this is difficult for many of us to actually share Jesus with people, to articulate the people, to confront sin, to talk about judgment, to also communicate the great mercy of God in Jesus Christ, to lay all that out in front of people. We go, ugh. Yeah, it's scary. Let me take another embarrassing poll. How many of us have shared the gospel with someone in the last year? Amen. Praise God. How many of you have ever led anybody to Christ? Raise your hand. Amen. In the last year few, far between, pretty cool. So I'm just saying, you know, I think that God desires this from his church. He's like, I want you to share me. I want you to be in the habit of shining me everywhere. And I want you to keep casting those poles in places. And it's not up for you about the catch. That's me. I, I cause them to bite. But you be faithful and trust me in the process You know, I've been struggling with it. I'm asking how many, of course, like I have to say, okay, this doesn't count about sharing the gospel. It does. But how many people out there have I shared the gospel with lately in church? It hasn't been, I can't remember. It's been a while. That's a confession. So what's going on there? Well, it's because I'm around Christians all the time, right? And you're going, yeah, well, that's part of what you're supposed to do, Matt, But also, there has to be this other dynamic. As I look at Jesus, what was he doing? He was around lost people. Matt, you've got to be around more lost people. Things need to shift. So it's not just you I'm preaching at. I'm preaching at me right? The Lord is encouraging me. Matt, there's things that need to be reprioritized and changed in your life and in your daily action so that you are fulfilling the Great Commission. And you, you know, it doesn't count that, so to speak, in my, my thinking that it's just happening here. It has to happen other places as well. And so it can be intimidating and nerve-wracking Nevertheless, God is calling all of us to it, and when we step out in faith and obey Him, we are going to enter into a great blessing. How many of you, first time you jumped off the high dive, were like, stood up there 500 times and were like, no, no, no. How many of you actually walked back down? Anybody? Okay, raise your hand. You walked back down. You got up there and you walked back down. Okay, just a few. Okay, I did. <laughs> You know, you're up there just, and everybody's like, will you please go? And you're like, "Mm," and you're doing all these movements and stuff that, you know, and it just becomes a theatrical thing, and then you just do the walk of shame down to the thing, and you go away and go to the snack bar whatever it is, right? I get it. It's hard. It's difficult. But how many of you, after you jumped, you're just like, well, that was kind of fun. And then you belly flop and you're like, that hurts. I hate to draw the analogy, but sharing Christ with people is similar. There's going to be a lot of belly flops. But the more you do it, the more God's able to teach you and lead you in doing it, and the more of a blessing it becomes and a joy it is. The joy is in obedience and watching God work in our weakness. So I want to focus this morning on overcoming our fear of sharing Jesus overcoming our fear of sharing Jesus. If we're going to glorify God by making disciples, we're going to have to face our fear and step out in faith. And as we looked at last week, we want to avoid the Moses response to God's call to go. We want to avoid the Moses response to God's call to go, but we want to have an Isaiah response. Here I am, Lord, send me. How many of you kind of have a Moses response? And if by the end of this, you might go, that's me. I want you to take comfort. You're not alone. Great people of the faith who God has used massively have struggled in this area. But he's going to move us from fear to faith, what he does with every believer, every believer. And so open with me to Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. Exodus 4, 1 through 17. Chapter 3 of Exodus was God calling Moses out of the burning bush to go, right? Exodus 3 is saying, Moses, hey, I'm God. This is who I am. This is my plan. This is my heart. I see people, my people are in bondage. And guess what? I want to send you to go deliver them. I'm going to use you to go deliver them. I'm going to be the deliverer, but I'm going to use you to go do it. Remember, Moses 40 years in the wilderness, herding sheep, burning bush, God says, I got a plan for you, and it's huge. Ready? Um, You're going. So you got to have that context, like what? So Exodus 4, 1 through 17 is Moses' response. Lord, we ask that our hearts be open as we see how you interacted with your servant Moses. Bring us from fear to faith that we might share Jesus this week and from here forward. Amen. Exodus 3, God calls Moses to go back to Egypt to deliver his people out of what? Do you think God's plan has changed? He's calling people to go into Egypt to deliver his people, whoever they are he knows, out of bondage. Same plan. I'm calling you to go, church. I want you to go. And here's Moses' response, chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, how many of you have a but behold? They will not believe me, or listen to my voice, for they will say that the Lord did not appear to you. Without me teaching too in depth here, Jesus uh, just just notice. Sorry, Moses's reason why he does not want to go. Can any of you relate with this? If you're taking notes, if you're taking notes, right? It's first of all a fear that they're not going to believe him or listen to him. They're not going to believe him or listen to him. Can anybody relate with Moses? God goes, I want you to go, and you look at the scenario and go, I don't think they're going to listen or believe me. I don't think they're going to listen or believe me. Yeah. Right now, the Lord is calling you to go into enemy territory. He's calling me to go into enemy territory. He's, going, he's calling us to go into a system of slavery, a system of bondage, and the evil taskmaster is Satan. He's calling us to go into enemy territory and to go deliver people out, and the message of the gospel is, is, what, is how people are freed. I know that's an oversimplification, but he's calling us to do that, and how many of us have the same response of Moses in our hearts? Fear that they will not listen or they will not believe. Well, the Lord responds. I'm just going to read a section here and not explain a whole lot. The Lord said to him, verse 2, what's that in your hand? He said, a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. I just think that's the funniest thing ever. <laughs> it's all inside in your hand. <laughs> throw it on the ground. Was like, ah! and he runs away from it. You know, anyways, God's funny. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. And so he put his hand out and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. And then, and that they may believe the Lord, your God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. You're worried about people not believing you. Listen, and he goes, take your staff, throw it down, and and he goes, here's a sign that I'm going to give you for them. And again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and he took it out. Behold, it was leprous, like snow. You know, poor Moses here. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and we took it out. Behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Verse 8, and if they will not believe you, see, the issue is belief. God said, or listen, listening to the first sign. They may believe the latter sign. And if they don't believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some of the water of the Nile important on dry ground. The water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. So God is supernaturally enabling Moses to reach those who might not believe that Moses was sent by God. That's what was happening there. Now, we cannot take the leap to say that now we are going to have a bunch of superpowers. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit, but we, we, we're not going to go throw a stick of the ground and it turn into a snake and pick it up. We're not going to go turn water into blood. We're not going to do, go do those things. And I don't want to stop God from doing whatever He wants to do, but this is specific to Moses in this situation, it seems. But the core issue with Moses was that he feared that they would not believe or listen to him. But the point is that God showed Moses that he was more than able to work within the hearts of the people who did not believe. He would be able to show himself to them. How he decides to do that, I have no clue, but that's God's business. He can do it. Moses needed to know, I've got it. I just need you to go speak. I need you to be faithful. I think that's one of our deep fears of why we don't go and share the gospel with the lost, fear that they will not believe us or listen to us. God had that covered. It wasn't Moses' responsibility whether or not they listened or believed. Actually, it was built in that most of them wouldn't. That whole generation died in the wilderness even. We must trust in the Lord and resolve within our hearts that whether whether they listen or not, we're gonna go. We're gonna go and share the gospel, and leave the ability to change and to prove himself up to God. Verse ten, another glorious reason of Moses. Uh, another response from Moses, but Moses said, to "The Lord, oh Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am." Slow speech and tongue. Moses' second fear of why he did not want to go was in his inability to communicate eloquently the message that God had given him to share. Can anyone relate with Moses on that? I think a majority of hands, my hand goes up. That is why I write down every word I'm going to say to you. I have this fear built within me because I'm naturally a clumsy communicator. I'm naturally a rabbit trail person. I'm naturally confusing. I'm a musician and not a great one. It's just not wonderful. And I feel the weight of that when I come before you. Is this confusing? And so I write down everything that I'm going to say to you. And then I go back over it and read it and go, does that make sense? Is that orderly? Is that, am I connecting the dots A to B? Are they going to be able to track with me and follow with me? Because if I don't understand what I'm reading, how in the world are you going to understand what I'm communicating? And you've seen me grow in that over the years, but I write it all down. That's the way I, I deal with that, right? In, in public communication. That's just one example but Moses' fear is, man, I am slow of tongue. And how many of you see I like I say things backwards? You guys laugh at that. We have discussions on Sunday nights. I'll say things backwards. Uh, or I'll say things, I'll get verses wrong. Or... Yes, all that happens. But can anybody relate with Moses so far? Moses says, I'm not a good communicator. I'm not good with words. I've never been good with words. Anyone... Who feels this way about themselves when it comes to sharing the gospel? Anyone? Raise your hand high. Me too. <laughs> when God gives us the clear command to go and evangelize the lost. By the way, the word evangel, evangelize is good news. It's to communicate the good message. That's what evangelism means kind of, so to speak, the good message. I see I see the command He's telling us all to do it, to be a part of it, but I'm fearful to speak. Not only because they might not believe me or listen to me, because I don't have confidence that I can communicate it. I'm confused about it. I don't know how to articulate what I believe. Anyone else? I think we all run into that obstacle to sharing the gospel and making disciples. And because of that fear and because of how looming it is, we can compromise and just say, well, I'm just going to live it out in front of them. And we have this kind of, I don't know, we try to trick ourselves into thinking that we're good. When God says, yeah, live it out. Absolutely live it out. But you've got to also spell it out. He's calling us to spell it out. And we can't get away from that. It's so important. Romans 10. Flip over to Romans 10 with your fingers still in in Exodus. Romans 10, 14 through 15. Ladies, women's Bible study. into, by the way. I'm going to read a section out of context. Just want you to know it's out of context. I'm not going to teach the whole chapter. Paul says in Romans 10, 14 through 15, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? Good question. And how are they to believe In him who they have never heard. Good question. And how are they to hear without someone preaching, without someone proclaiming, without someone communicating? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, unless they go, right? And then Paul quotes this beautiful verse as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That's a beautiful thing. It is a thing of beauty that we are engaged in. We need to look at it not as a fear, but as a beauty, a privilege, an honor to be a part of that. Now, the broader context of this passage about Israel and the Gentiles and Israel's rejection of the gospel and the Gentiles actually coming to faith because of Israel's rejection of the gospel and and the Gentiles hearing the messages, the results of the direction, and how are they going to hear unless someone's sent to them? There's a, there, and so that's the bigger picture of all of this that Paul's going on. But in the midst of that, there's this gem of rhetorical questions that, that is communicated. They will not call unless they believe in God, and they're not going to believe unless, God, unless they hear the gospel of Jesus. So someone must tell them. And guess what Jesus said to us? Go. <laughs> That's us. That's us, right? We are called to go. I'm called to go. You're called to go. And when we do, we're bringing a beautiful message. Now, don't get caught up in the word preacher. It, it simply means to declare the gospel, to be a herald of the gospel, a communicator of the gospel. And, and don't think that it's relegated only to me. And, and I said this poorly before when I said it was not my job primarily, but that it was your job that's that's kind of that's arrogant and that's not right it is our job to communicate the gospel that was that was not communicated well on my part i do have a role and responsibility as ephesians says to equip you for the work of the ministry you have the ability to communicate and be among the lost in a way that i do not does that make sense cuz primarily it seems that i'm around i'm around you all helping you which is a great and glorious thing but that does not mean that I am not to be out there as well. Amen? So just to make sure we understand the message of the gospel, Paul tells us in verse 9 through 11, and this is important, what are we communicating? What is the gospel message? Look at verses 9 through 11. We're jumping up. Notice I'm not doing it in order here. Verses 9 through 11, what people must believe in order to be saved. What are we communicating? Verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. This is a very compact statement here that has a lot to it. And I'm not going to get into everything that's in there. But a person is saved by belief in Jesus Christ. That is demonstrated In a submission to his lordship. Okay? That's kind of of as basic as I can can put it. And lest we get the cart before the horse, Paul flips the order. He starts with confession belief, but then he flips it in verse 10 to belief leading to confession. And that's literally the order of salvation. For with the heart one is justified. That means you're made right before God. In other words, through faith in Christ, we are justified. We are made just as if we'd never sinned. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And so there's this aspect, not only of of a heart belief, but an action that supports it. And so we're saved by faith in Jesus, and we're justified before God, declared not guilty, and that is accompanied by a confession of our new relationship to Him. What is our new relationship to Jesus? That He is what? Lord. He is Lord of our life. Lord of our lives, Lord of our salvation, Lord of all. And so we are calling people first Ultimately, we're calling people to be submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what we are calling people to, to be submitted to him. Well, there's a way that that happens. We're calling them to, to faith in Jesus Christ. Not simply believing that Jesus exists. The demons believe that Jesus exists. It's not an intellectual belief that Jesus was I believe that he exists. That's not what we're talking about. That isn't saving faith. Saving faith is when we believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead. And this is what he's linking here. And that implies that one believes that first Jesus died. Died for what? Yeah. And so what has to be communicated in the gospel that we are what? Sinners. That's uncomfortable. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But listen, the Holy Spirit, John 16, 8, when he comes, Jesus said, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and the judgment to come. This is what God is doing. This is what the Spirit of God is doing in the the world. He's convicting them of sin already. It's not up to you to convict them of sin, but you need to be a messenger of that that we've all sinned before a righteous God, of righteousness, that God is righteous, we are not. And because of that, there is judgment that is coming. And so in essence, part of sharing the good news is sharing the bad news. Marcus went over this in great length uh, at the men's retreat. We first share the bad news that, (laughs) well... Man bad, <laughs> men's retreat. And then we say, God is good, Jesus. That's the, all the guys at the men's retreat, we went cavemen. Man bad, God good, Jesus. That's, that's the gospel, right? That we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, what? And there's judgment awaiting. Well, guess what? What does that lead to? God's great and marvelous mercy in his son. He sent His one and only Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ died, the innocent for the guilty, to take away our sins that we would be forgiven by God. That's a beautiful thing. And so we're communicating this truth in the resurrection that Jesus died. And to prove that it was all legitimate, that this is true, God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, proving that he is Lord, he is victorious over sin. He is the source of salvation. He is the one who gives eternal life. And so there's a necessity in our communication of the gospel to people that they must repent of their sin and believe in Jesus and that God will give them forgiveness and eternal life. That's what we're communicating. We have, to compl- we have to communicate these things. If we're not, it's not the gospel. It's not- the message isn't God loves you. That's out of context. Of course it's God loves you. He absolutely loves you, but how did he love you and why did he love you? And all those things, right? And so we call people to repent. We talk about the judgment and we talk about God's solution through his son. That's important. So, we have to be willing to communicate these things. Now, how many of you feel totally adequate and ready to do that? I'm not eloquent. I don't understand what I believe. I barely believe, you know, I I know I believe it, but I, I don't know how to formulate it. So, what does that say about us as a church? About you as an individual? About me? If I'm stuck, it means I need to grow. I need discipleship. (laughs) I need to learn of Him. I need to grow in my ability to understand the gospel, to articulate the gospel. I need to grow in this. You see what I'm saying? The reason sometimes why the mission is not fulfilled is because we're stunted in our growth. And God wants us to start doing these things. So, We must grow in our knowledge of the Lord, and it can be intimidating to communicate these things. We're almost finished. Nevertheless, we are called to go and share the good news. But how many of us, like Moses, say, Lord, I know you're calling me to go, but I'm not eloquent. I'm going to mess this up? Anyone? And then the enemy jumps in there and says, Yeah, you're a mess. You're horrible. You're a poor communicator. And then when you actually step out and do it, someone just totally smashes you and rejects you. You, get, you do a belly flop, or they do a belly flop off the high dive. How many of you have had that experience? You're, you're like, you know what, never again. Never again. Verse 11, then he said to the Lord, well, actually, there's a bunch there. Then The Lord said to him, basically, who made your mouth? Yeah, I've got to go. Sorry, I've got to do this. Jump back. The Lord's answer to Moses about his mouth is, I made your mouth. I've got you. Lord said to him, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? In other words, the Lord wanted Moses to know, understand that his fear was nothing in light of God's power. Let that sink into your soul this morning with your inadequacy in all this, that it's nothing in light of God's power to do it through you the Lord's able to work. Verse 12. Now, therefore, what? Go. <laughs> God recommunicates, "Go, and I will what? I'll be with your mouth." Some of us need to underline that and make it our new like 2024 verse. Underline that. Go. I'll be with your mouth, and God will do what? He will what? He'll teach you what you're going to say or how you're to speak. Underline that, church. This is key. God is going to teach you. Are you committed to go so that God can be with you, so that he'll teach you? We're not doing swan dives off the high dive the first time, church. Amen? Yeah. Now, therefore, go, and I'll be with you. What a privilege. Verse 13, okay, but he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. How many of you after all of this are just saying, yeah, but, yeah, but, I hear you, preacher. I see the truth as clear as day, but I will not go. That's a heart issue. That's a heart issue, church. And it breaks God's heart. And I would say it also gets the response here in verse 14 then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. How many of you want to be in that situation? Wait, I thought I was in Christ. Yeah, how many of you loved your kids, but you can be angry? Why? Because there's unrighteousness, hopefully, if you're righteous. You know what I'm saying? When we grieve the Spirit, when we go against The Lord, when we're unwilling to do what he calls us to do. And so the Lord enters us into a discipline phase. He disciplines those he loves. And he said, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is this is there not Aaron your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. And you shall make him speak to uh, and, and you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do man God's grace in the situation do not take this as a cop out do not go down the road of Lord send someone else let's get an errand in here and he shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him it's not you are God but the relationship we have is the relationship similar to you'll have, you guys will have. And, and take in your hand the staff, which, which you, are, you shall do the sign. So the Lord was angry with Moses. And as a result of all of this, there was a compromise that God allowed. And Aaron was a bummer. Aaron was a bummer. It would have been better for Moses just to trust God. We know that Aaron was a bummer. What did he do? He led them into idolatry. He caved into all that stuff when Moses was on the hill. He let the golden calf. That's Aaron. And people died because of it. His sons didn't know how to minister before the Lord. They were priests, and on their coronation day, so to speak, they're They saw that God consumed a sacrifice, and they said, ooh, that's awesome. Look at what God did, and we're going to replicate that. And so they swung their censers with this false fire before God, and fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And God said, I will be regarded before my people as holy. You cannot mimic me. These guys standing in front of them were putting false fire in front of My people. God smoked them. And he told Aaron, Don't you dare cry for them, or I'll do the same to you. Aaron, for you know, he had some good moments, but man, let's not go that route. Let's do the A route. Let's not do the Moses response, let's do the Isaiah response. Here I am, Lord, send me. Yes, I can't wait for you to fix all my issues. But I'm going to go out in faith. I'm going to preach the gospel. I might not be great at it. I might not know how to do it, but I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to send a text. I'm going to do an email. I'm going to share one thing about Jesus because I don't even know what I'm doing yet. But I'm committed to to do what you say, and you'll teach me as I go. You'll be with my mouth. You'll help me. I trust you, Lord, because you said it. That's what he's looking for in us, church. A church not that's polished, not that's finished, but in our weakness, he is made strong. Amen? He is made strong. We boast in our weakness, not in our strength, and how awesome he is, and we just let him fill us and use us so that who gets the glory? Him. We have to be resolved in our hearts to communicate the gospel. Let me encourage you at the end here. Joshua chapter one. Joshua chapter one. This is Moses' replacement, by the way. Moses had delivered all those people. They spent 40 years in the wilderness because of their disobedience and their murmuring and complaining and their lack of belief. And so God let that generation die. And a new generation was raised up to come into the promised land. And Joshua, Yeshua, was their leader. Pretty awesome. There's a picture there. The law doesn't lead us into the promised land. Joshua does. Yeshua. It's interesting. Not, mem- not undermining God's law. It's perfect. But there's a picture there. But here's what it is. Let's just read it. After the death of Moses, Joshua chapter 1, the servant of the Lord, the, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' is his assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, what? Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them to be the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. You wonder what the Middle East conflict's about. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I shall be with you. I will what? I will not leave you nor forsake you. Wait, I thought Jesus said that. Yeah, he's just quoting himself. The words sound familiar? What does Jesus say in similar words at the end of the Great Commission? I want you to go. Go. And what does he say there in verse 20 at the end of it? And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm not going to leave you. Church, this is the same God we serve, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's with you. He's with me. He's with us. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joshua, and of CCF. Jesus told Joshua, I will be with you. I'm not going to leave you. Go. Verse six. What does he say? Be strong and courageous. CCF. For you shall cause this people to inherit a land that I swore to their fathers to give them, right? Only be strong. And very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right hand or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Be a people of my word. Listen to my voice as I'm sending you out. Don't you move from my voice. And you will be successful. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. So be strong, be courageous. Let the word of God, let the words of God dwell in you richly. New Testament terminology. Verse nine, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. How many times does he have to repeat that? Do you need to hear it again? Don't be frightened (laughs) and don't be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is what? With you wherever you go. The Lord knew Joshua's nervousness. He knows yours. He's with you. Be courageous. Trust him. Lean out. Press into the land filled with enemies and giants. Press out into it, and you're going to watch God work. Starting today, in your heart, in my heart, let's trust him. Let's go. Communicate the gospel today to someone, tomorrow to someone, the next day to someone, the day after that to someone. I'm not throwing legalism on you. I'm just giving you the heart of the command. It's to be our lifestyle. So next week we'll get into and teach them because we need training in how to go about that. How many of you feel like, I have no idea what I'm doing? Yeah. Well, that's why God's put some seasoned saints among you. Amen? A lot of former belly flappers. Just... Oh yeah, come on in, the water's great. So, Lord God, we come before you and we ask that your spirit would change us. Give us a spirit of boldness, the spirit of Christ. Take away our spirit of fear and move us to faith. Take our eyes off of ourselves and onto you. And Lord, give us your heartbeat for the lost. Help us to shudder at the fact that judgment awaits for all those who've rejected Christ. Let us be standing in the gap, the watchman on the wall, crying out the name of Jesus, the hope of the world. Consume us, Lord. Change us. In your name, amen. God bless you. God bless you. If you need prayer for this and other things, uh, the elders and I are here for you. If you need boldness, pray. And pray with one another. Amen.